Welcome to News of the Times. This podcast is aimed for those with a passion for history and the human story. Through actual news articles of our past, I review the social media stories of their day, touching upon the lives, trends and world of the everyday person. I am Robin Coles and this is News of the Times. The Time, 1813 to 1814. The Headlines. The Philharmonic Society of London is formed, holding its first concert on the 8th of March. Indian trade monopoly of the British East India Company is abolished. The War of 1812. William Henry Harrison defeats the British at the Battle of the Thames in Upper Canada. Native leader Tecumseh is killed in battle. William Debenham joins Thomas Clark in a partnership to manage a draper's store in London. The origin of the Debenham's business, which will run department stores until 2020. Westminster Bridge in London is illuminated by gas lighting provided by the Gas Light and Coke Company from the world's first public gasworks nearby. Charles Waterton begins the process of turning his estate at Walton Hall, West Yorkshire, into what is, in effect, the world's first nature reserve. The third coldest month in the CET series with an average of minus 2.9 centigrade or 26.8 Fahrenheit allows the last River Thames frost fair in London. The first cricket match is played at Lord's Cricket Ground in St John's Wood. The War of 1812, the burning of Washington. British troops set fire to the United States Capitol, the President's Mansion and other local landmarks. The first plastic surgery is carried out in England by Dr. Joseph Constantine Carpou. The Treaty of Ghent is signed officially ending the American War of 1812. The treaty is later ratified by the Americans on February 16, 1815. Our headline story from the pilot, September 1813, Murder of His Pregnant Mistress. On Friday, Luke Heath was indicted at Gloucester Assizes for the willful murder of Sarah Harris, single woman. James Harris, father of the deceased Sarah Harris, was the first witness called. He stated that his daughter lived in the house with him and that they went to bed on the 22nd of June at about 8 o'clock. His daughter slept in the room in the opposite corner of the house to that that he occupied. Her room was nearer the stairs so that she could go downstairs toward the kitchen without passing his door. He rose soon after 4 o'clock on the 23rd 
and observed his daughter's room door open, which was an unusual thing. He went out at the back door, which he found ajar, into a penthouse. Here he saw lying on the ground a dung fork that had been placed against the wall overnight. He picked it up and went into the garden to see if his daughter was there. He then went into the village to ensure for her at another daughter's house, and he heard for the first time that his missing daughter, Sarah, was with child. He was told upon his return home that the dead body of his daughter was found and was much affected on viewing it. There was a scar on the left temple and a hole on the back part of the head. He now saw blood on the dung fork, which he had not observed before, and likewise on the wall of the penthouse and on the other stones. His daughter had washed some stockings for him on the preceding night, and these had been hung up to dry. One pair was bloody. He had not heard anything in the night. The pond where the body had been found was about sixty yards from the house. There was blood in the crevasses of the stones. There was an appearance of blood having been wiped up. It looked as if the stockings had been used for that purpose. The body in the pond, which when found had no shoes on, when it was brought to the surface the water was tinged with blood. There was a considerable bruise on the left temple and two holes as if thrust on the back of the head. The suspected prisoner, Luke Heath, was at work when the constable came to arrest him in the king's name. Prisoner asked for what? Police told him that Sarah Harris had been murdered and the body found in a pond and that he was suspected. Prisoner said that he had not seen her for three or four months and the prisoner was taken into custody. The prisoner admitted that he was in the habit of going to see the deceased at nights after her father and herself had gone to bed. He stated the last time he had seen her was a fortnight before Easter. William Newman, witness, stated that he lived adjoining to the Hare household. He had known the prisoner for 10 to 12 years and had seen him several times with Sarah Harris. Witness stated that between old and new Christmas Day, the prisoner, Luke Heath, was in the deceased girl's bedroom, where he stayed two hours while old Harris was at his labour. He had seen the prisoner often in the evenings. Edward Ashwin, witness, said before the murder, he had mentioned to the prisoner that the deceased was pregnant by him. Prisoner did not deny it, but said there would be no child, for he had seen her, Sarah, take Savin in warm water. The constable took him to prison, and at the door he observed the prisoner feeling for something in his pocket. The constable demanded his knife. The prisoner said he had not got one, but on searching him, the constable took a knife from his pocket. From hearing 
all the evidence, the jury, after a quarter of an hour's consideration, returned a verdict of guilty. His lordship then proceeded to pass sentence upon the prisoner, and in a most solemn appeal, pointing out the enormity of his offence. The sentence was that he should be hanged on Monday, and his body given to surgeons for dissection. The trial occupied a space of seven hours, having commenced at 8 a.m. and closing about 3 p.m. The prisoner is a strong, muscular man with hard features. He has since confessed his guilt. From the Sun, September 1813, the execution of Luke Heath. After attending divine service in the chapel and spending a considerable time in prayer, he was brought upon the scaffold and seemed so completely overcome with terror that it was with great difficulty that he could support himself. He appeared to shrink with horror from the awful scene before him, and after remaining a few minutes in this situation, he uttered a short ejaculation and was launched into eternity. The apparent indifference and want of feeling manifested by this unhappy criminal, both during the progress of his trial and at the dreadful moment of sentence being passed, having been formally mentioned. On his return to prison, however, after condemnation, he evinced due to contrition and made an ample confession of his guilt. The manner of his perpetrating the horrible crime, he stated, is as follows. He had for some time kept company with the deceased and under repeated promises of marriage had robbed her of her virtue. She was six months advanced in pregnancy. On the night of the murder, he went at about twelve o'clock to her father's house and called her out of bed. She came downstairs dressed but without shoes. Some words passed between them. He struck her so violently with a white thorn stick on the head and the temple that she fell to the ground. He then, to use his own words, with the assistance of the devil, picked her up and carried her on his shoulders to the pool of water in which he threw the body, believing there was but little life left. Advertisement from the Inverness Journal and Northern Advertiser, January 1813. Notice of Desertion John Fraser, recruit, 103 Division Regiment, son of James Fraser Miller at Bellardrum, County of Inverness, deserted on pass from his father's house on Saturday the 26th instant and is supposed to be concealed by his friends till an opportunity occurs of his leaving the country. The said John Fraser is 18 years of age, 5 feet 4 inches high, by trade a cartwright, fresh complexion, blue eyes, fair hair, was dressed in a tartan jacket and waistcoat, grey trousers and round hat when he deserted. Whoever will apprehend the said deserter and lodge him in any of His Majesty's jails in Great Britain, will receive a reward of two guineas on applying to the office commanding party here. From 
the London moderator and national adviser, October 1814. Burst beer vat at the Three Horseshoes Brewery and Inn. Wednesday afternoon, an inquest was held at St Giles's Workhouse on view of the following unfortunate persons who perished by the bursting of the vat. Elaine Cooper, 14 years of age. Mary Mulvey, aged 13 years. Thomas Mulvey, aged 3 years. Hannah Banfield, aged 4 years, 4 months. Sarah Bates, aged 3 years and 5 months. Anne Saville, aged 60 years. Elizabeth Smith, a married woman, aged 27 years. And Catherine Butler, a widow, aged 65 years. After the jury was sworn and had viewed the bodies, George Crick, storehouse clerk, deposed that he has served the owners for about 17 years. Monday afternoon, one of the large iron hoops of the vat, which burst, fell off. Witness was not alarmed on that account, as he had frequently seen such things occur without being attended by any serious consequence. He wrote a letter to Mr. Young, one of the partners of the firm, to inform him of what had happened. Mr. Young was also their VAT builder. Witness had the letter in his hand in order to send it about half-past five in the evening, which was about an hour before the hoop had fallen off. Unbeknownst to him, pressure was building within the damaged vat until it exploded with such power that it caused another nearby vat to burst too. He was standing on the platform within three yards of the vat when it burst. He ran to the storehouse where the vat was and it was above his knees in beer. On the side of the building, upwards of 25 feet high, with the considerable part of the roof, lay in ruin. The first object that took his attention was his own brother, whom one of the men was pulling from under a butt that lay on its side. He and one of the labourers are now in Middlesex Hospital in a dangerous way. The height of the vat was 22 feet. It was filled within four inches of the top and contained 5,555 barrels of beer that was about ten months brewed. The four inches that were empty of the vat would hold between thirty and forty barrels more. The hoop which burst was about seven hundred weight, which was the least weight of any of the twenty-nine hoops on the vat. When the vat burst, the force and pressure was so great that its store several hogsheads of porter and also knocked out the cock of nearly as large a vat that was in the cellar. This vat contained 2,400 barrels, all of which but about 800 barrels also ran out. They lost in all between 8,000 and 9,000 barrels. The cock that was knocked out ran about a barrel a minute. The result was a sea of beer, some 15 feet high and approaching 220,000 gallons. 
for our listeners, that's one million litres. The vat that burst was built between eight and nine years ago and was kept always nearly full. Witnesses supposed that it was the rivets of the hoops that had slipped, none of the hoops being broken. The wall which fell was in height 25 feet high and two bricks and a half thick. The cellar and the two deep wells which were in it were also full of beer, all employed to save what beer they could. About an hour and a half afterwards, witness found the body of Anne Saville floating among the butts, and also part of a private still, both of which floated from some of the neighbouring houses, as he is certain neither were there before. She was dead, and her body was carried to the horseshoe public house. Two other witnesses were examined, whose evidence presented nothing material. The jury immediately returned a verdict of death by casualty. Advertisement from the Inverness Journal and Northern Advertiser, January 1813. Beer and ale prices rises. The propriety of Crumwater Brewery is avoidably obliged to intimate to the public that, owing to the high price of barley and hops, he finds it necessary to advance the prices of his ales. From the London Moderator and National Advertiser, October 1814, The Fighting Female. On Monday between four and five o'clock in the afternoon, as Mrs. Howes, wife of Mr. Howes, solicitor of Northampton, was returning to Bugbrook in company with the Miss Perkins, they were stopped by a villain near the side of the canal who, with imprecations, demanded their money. Mrs. H. positively refused to give him any, on which he gave her a slap on the face, which Mrs. H., very spiritedly returned. The villain then seized Miss Perkins and tore at her clothes, Mrs. H. immediately on his back, being carried towards her, caught him by the throat and gripped him so tightly that he begged the woman to release him, promising that they should then proceed without interruption. The villain, however, on finding himself disengaged, immediately turned to Mrs. H. and said, Now, my lady, I will revenge on you. I have a knife in my pocket, and I will have both your lives and your money. Mrs. H. replied that he should not have her money, but with her life. A violent scuffle ensued when Mrs. H. was again fortunate enough to get such a hold of him as to enable her to prevent him from carrying his threats into execution, and to secure him till a person came to her assistance. They immediately took the fellow before a magistrate who committed him to the county jail. Advertisement from Saunders Newsletter, January 1813. New raisins under prime cost. O'Neill and company are now selling sun raisins in casks, and bloom and muscatel raisins in boxes, considerably under prime cost. The fruit is of the finest quality imported direct from Malaga 
last month. From the Examiner, September 1812, infamous disorderly house. Wolf Cohen and Hannah, his wife, were found guilty of keeping a disorderly house in Union Street, Shadwell. Never was more infamous a scene disclosed. Girls from about 12 years of age were enticed there by these wretches dressed up in gay apparel and conducted to prostitution, the wages of which were always grasped at by the prisoners. When any of the unhappy girls expressed a disinclination to continue this horrid course, or when they fell ill, they were stripped and turned adrift. The prisoners instructed the poor creatures to pick the pockets of those who accompanied them, quote, home, unquote, if intoxicated. If any of them neglected to do this, Mrs. Cohen herself would steal into the room and rob them. The fruits of such robberies were in every case given to the prisoners. Cohen was sentenced to stand in the pillory opposite Shadwell Church and to pay a fine of £100, to be imprisoned in the House of Correction for one year and then to find sureties for his good behaviour. His partner in iniquity, being pregnant, the punishment of the pillory was dispensed with and she was ordered to be imprisoned one year in the same prison. From the Sun, September 1813, a four-year-old boy lured away. A woman named Smith was detected in decoying away a boy four years old from the door of his mother in the Hampstead Road on Wednesday evening, under pretense of buying pears. The offender had got the child into the field towards Marylebone Park and was in the net of stripping him when Hart, a constable, whose attention was arrested by the cries of the boy, took the woman into custody. The child was restored to its parents, and the woman was remanded for another examination. From the News, London, September 1813. Failed attempted suicide. An affair of a melancholy nature happened at Shepton, Middlesex, on Monday night. A respectable young man of the name of Wren son of a man of property, had paid his addresses some time to Miss X, a young lady in the neighbourhood of Brentford. He accompanied her to the races at Egham the middle day, but a sort of lover's quarrel took place and they parted on the course. On the following day, the young lady was accompanied to the course by a young male relation, and such was its effect upon the mind of Wren that he went home in a state of melancholy. The next day his situation was rendered worse by the jocularity of his friends on the subject, and he was not seen till Saturday night. On Tuesday it was reported that the young man had shot himself at the oak, and it turned out to be Wren. He had placed a pistol at his throat. The ball took away the left side of his jaw and came out below his ear, but he is expected to recover. He had called for a glass of ale in the parlour alone when he perpetrated the act. From the Sun, London, September 1813, another failed suicide attempt. An accomplished young lady, the daughter of a very respectable retired tradesman in the neighbourhood of Cavendish Square, 
attempted to put a period of her existence on Tuesday by taking a large portion of laudanum. Medical aid saved her life, and she is in a fair way of recovery. The occasion of the rash act is said to have risen in consequence of the lady's friends refusing to countenance what they deemed an improper attachment. Advertisement from the Inverness Journal and Northern Advertiser, January 1813. New Year's Gifts. The parents and guardians of youths are respectfully informed that J. Young and company have secured a large number of books for the amusement and instruction of youth at every price from sixpence to two guineas. At a season when it's, it is customary to make presents to young people, it will not, they trust, be deemed inobtrusive to, in them to observe that a more suitable gift cannot be made as this, or any other period, than a book which has at its object the improvement of the mind. You have been listening to the News of the Times, 1813 to 1814, and I am Robin Coles. Thank you for listening to News of the Times. New episodes incorporating a new span of time from history will be updated weekly. If you enjoyed the show, please tell your friends and subscribe. You can also check out our sister channel, Simply Stories, found on all your favourite podcast apps.